Hey, welcome everybody. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you braved the snowstorm, the snowmageddon that they're calling it out there. (laughs) Seriously, we are from Colorado, right, people? So this is like, I guess you look out and go, I think it snowed. That's what we ought to be saying. I think it snowed, but it's not stopping me from going anywhere. I heard people say yesterday that the lines at the grocery store were just like down the aisles and around because people like... They're buying bottled water and provisions for, for the long haul. See you in the spring. I don't know what people are doing. But anyway, we are the hardy Colorado people, right? All right. This is, this is nothing. And I'm really go- I was going to pray just thank you to the Lord for bringing you here, but I think Gabe covered it very well. But I think God always, he, he, number one, plants a message in my heart that he wants for his people to hear, but then he's always so faithful in giving you a little prod, saying, hey, you need to get there. And I think the people that need to hear what God has for them are here. I don't think every message is for everyone, but I think the people specifically that are a part of this body and need to hear this message are here. And I'm always just so thankful that God brings, brings you here and that he gives me a word. Now, on that I had a message, I had my message written last week in the middle of the week, and that's, that's fairly recent, and you know, from, from the, the history in the past was that we would have our messages planned out months ahead of time, and written at least, you know, a few weeks ahead of time, so I had this message written on Wednesday, and yesterday, um, yesterday before service, a couple hours before service, I walked into the house, and Gabe's like, um, how you doing? How, how's the message going? And I go, it's going fine, I guess. And she goes, well, what's, what's wrong? And I go, well, I had it, I had it planned. I had, my, I had my notes down. I had everything. And then as I'm driving home from the grocery store moments ago, the Lord highlighted something to me, and now I've got to change my message and include that in the... And I couldn't let go. And, and I'm glad. I'm glad that I listened to that because as I, as I taught this message last night, there was such life in that. And so anyway, so, so you get to hear the new and improved revised message as of, as of 24 hours ago. Um, so we're, we're going to follow kind of the path that we had been doing. Uh, the first couple weeks, we talked about different scriptures related to our mission statement. And so we're going to do that again. We're going to continue through that. This will actually be the last week where we're kind of working our way through our mission statement. But our mission statement is this, Discover Community Church is a place where the body of Christ will be encouraged and equipped to use our spiritual gifts in order to actively care for our neighboring community and to be doers of the word and not merely hearers, encouraged by witnessing the fruit of local outreach firsthand, equipped by ongoing study of the word to hear his direction. Now, in the last couple of weeks, we worked through um, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 about our spiritual gifts and James 1, 22 about being hearers or being doers of the word and not merely hearers. Today, we're going to go into that section, 1 Corinthians 12, 27, where it says this, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Okay, a lot of us have heard message after message after message about being the body of Christ. Right? Most of us have. There are some who haven't, and so I kind of want to touch on what that means just to make sure that we're all on the same page before I go ahead. It's one danger is, is you start preaching to a certain audience, and there are people who are like, I don't know what that is. I don't get that. Okay? Especially when you start talking about the body of Christ. You say things like, you are the body of Christ, or this is the blood of Christ. This is the body of Christ. You talk about it like that. That can be a little freaky if you're not a Christian. Or if you're a new believer, like maybe that's the first time, and you don't really understand what that means. That can actually be something that becomes a stumbling block to people, like they're talking about eating the body of Christ and literally drinking his blood there. I don't know about that. If you don't understand it, it can be something that can actually hinder our relationship with Jesus. I don't ever want that to happen. So I always want to be sure and kind of touch base on these things, but I want to invite all of you. If you ever have any issues or questions about what I say. Now, I didn't grow up in the church. I wasn't you know, a pastor's kid from the time I was born, and I grew up in the church, and so all this stuff is second nature. I feel that I have a fairly good handle on those things that are going to potentially trip people up. But even then, I do sometimes get into that thing where I assume people know things. So I want to invite you. If something I say doesn't make sense or you're not quite certain about something, number one, go to the Bible. 
and see what it says about that. But I'm always available. You can email me. You can catch me after service or before. I want to help you navigate this stuff. That can be kind of confusing. It literally can be kind of confusing. So, But I want to talk about those two terms really quick just to make sure we're all on the same page. We talk about the body and the blood. So we talk about we are the body versus this is the body. right? We are versus this is. And it's kind of not very different but it means entirely different things. So this is the body. This is the body. You typically hear that in relation to communion. We're partaking in the body and the blood of Christ, right? And I think that's an important thing to fully understand, that when Christ gave himself on the cross for us, we become a part of the body of Christ, both symbolically and literally, okay? In his eyes, we become that. And so Going all the way back to the fall of man, when we, when the original sin that they talk about in Genesis, our lifeblood, the very lifeblood that flows through us, became corrupted, became infected, so to speak, with sin. And so sinful blood flows through all of our bodies. That's why we need Jesus' blood. We need an infusion of the perfect, sinless lifeblood of Jesus Christ. And we need that every single day. And that's what he did for us. And so when we partake in communion, it's a symbolic act, yes. But we are partaking in that very cleansing lifeblood of Jesus Christ that we need every day. We need that infusion of fresh blood from him. That's what, symbolically, that's what this is the body means. Now Jesus gave that freely for us. He gave his body, as you heard them talk about, and talk, Lauren talk about that. He gave his body and his blood for us, and he gave it freely. It wasn't taken from him. He gave it for us. And that's something that every time we take communion, every time we think of, this is the body, this is the blood, it wasn't anything that was stolen from him. He gave it for us. It's a gift from our Lord and Savior to us, and it should be our pleasure and our, our, our deep gratitude to be able to partake in that whenever we do. So think about that as we do communion. And then, Okay, so then there's the other part. You are the body, and that's kind of what we're going to emphasize here today and what we're going to talk about. You are the body of Christ. If you have received Jesus, then you are the body of Christ. Okay, you're a part of the spiritual body of Christ. You're immersed in him you are baptized in the Spirit. Okay, this happens when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Okay, so if you have said yes to Jesus, he is your Lord and Savior, that makes you part of the body of Christ with his lifeblood flowing in you now, cleansing you free, okay? And what that means is that these people sitting next to you have also had that experience, making them brothers and sisters, blood brothers and sisters in Christ. So we're not a whole bunch of collection of random people who come here. You are all blood brothers and sisters in Christ. And so therefore, when we talk about being the body, that's what it means. We are all together collectively the body of Christ. And so when you look at that, we are all the body of Christ when we go back to this scripture in 1 Corinthians, Paul, I talked last week about him being troubled about hearing some of the things that were coming back from Corinth, and that's why he had to write this epistle or this letter to them, is because he started getting all kinds of feedback of things that weren't going right, and it bothered him. It bothered him because he spent so much time and effort and blood, sweat, and tears teaching the people of Corinth, spreading the word of the gospel, Okay, spreading that word, and it had taken root. It had taken root strong. There were conversions all over the place. People who had grown up in the, in the Jewish tradition were converting. Brand new believers were coming in all the time. It was a strong, vibrant church in Corinth. And then Paul said, okay, you guys got this. You guys got this, right? Okay, I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to continue my journey, and I'm going to continue building the church. So when he started getting feedback that there were problems, it really bothered him. 
man, I spent so much time getting this going, and it really was strong. What happened? So it really bothered him. So when he wrote this epistle to the Corinthians, uh, last week I kind of mentioned all the different themes that were in this. Like there's a whole range of themes that Paul covers in this letter, all the way from unity to marriage to communion to baptisms to to taking each other to court, to all these different things. I mean, there was a whole range of it, not just one or two things they needed correction in. They needed, like, I've, I've basically have to reteach you everything that I've taught you. And so that's where this letter comes from. One of the main points was unity, church unity. And he taught extensively on what it means. So if you read 1 Corinthians, I urge everybody to read 1 Corinthians um, it's, it's a great epistle about, again, a whole range of things. And if we just do nothing but understand that, it's going to help us so much in how we interact with each other. But here's what Paul was talking about. So, again, in response to, to seeing the church begin to, to weaken and cracks and rifts started forming in the church in Corinth, he starts responding to this. One of the things that he was responding to was basically just a kind of spirit of, of snobbery, okay? A spirit of we're better than you, you know, we're better than you, and we're the only ones that have the true, the true gospel. We're the only ones that are teaching it the right way. You guys are all teaching it the wrong way, okay? Scripture actually even talks in this, talks about there are several different, um, probably early denominations, right? The first rift starting to form where this group thinks they have it right, but this group thinks they have it right, and this group thinks they have it right, and they're all part of the same church, <clears throat> but they start following these different leaders. So there's people who are following Paul, okay? They're sticking to what Paul taught them, and they're sticking, they, uh, this is the true way, and this, we're doing it right because this is what Paul taught us. There's another group that says, no, we're doing it right because we're doing it the way that Peter taught us. There's another group saying, we doing it right. Now, you guys got it wrong. I, I get what you're saying there, but I think we have the right spin on it because Apollos taught us this. Another leader named Cephas taught him that. And then there's still another group that say, hey, we're just going to strictly go only by what we heard Jesus say. Each one of these groups had it mostly right with small divisions, Okay. Small divisions, but here's the problem. They didn't just say, okay, we believe this, you believe slightly different. Well, that's okay. That's okay. It's okay for you to, to believe slightly different as long as we all agree that Jesus is Lord and we agree on those basic concepts. It's okay to have those divisions. They didn't see it like that. They said, we're right, you're wrong, and they started fighting. They started openly fighting back and forth about who was right, who had the correct teaching. Who had this whole gospel thing of Jesus right? Here's the problem with that. People are watching. People in the church, people outside of the church. They're all watching how this group of believers handles themselves. And when they start seeing these open arguments, people just standing up in front of the group and saying, you are wrong and calling one another out on these kind of things. People from the outside, the church is supposed to be attractive. It's supposed to be something that draws people in. But when they come in out of curiosity or whatever it is that brings them there, they see this group of people arguing and bickering back and forth. And what do they say? Well, they're just like us. They're just like us. They do the same things. They have the same problems. They still argue. They still poke at one another. They still do all these things. Why then would I give up my way of life to follow the way if it all leads to the same thing. It looks exactly the same to me, except that these guys tend to argue more about spiritual things, but other than that, it's the same. We need to be careful. We need to be careful about how people outside of the church and inside of the church, because you never know where the person next to you is. Are they a brand new believer? Or are they seeking Jesus? Are they trying to make that decision? They're looking at what you say. They're looking at how you say it. They're looking at how you carry yourself in your life. They're looking at whether you argue, whether you steal, whether you cheat. They're looking at us, and they're watching us, and they're going, okay, that's what a Christian is like. Do you want somebody looking at you and the way that you carry yourself throughout the day and saying, 
that's what a Christian is like. I want that. Or do you want them looking at you and saying, yeah, that's what I thought Christians were like. I have no need for that. That's what I did for 40 years of my life. Thankfully, God can redeem everything. Another thing that was going on here at this time was that the church members were suing each other. They were suing each other like crazy over all kinds of things, big things, little things, libel, slander, um, business deals between church members. They were going crazy suing each other. And here's a little background on why this happened and how this happened, okay? At around this time, around the first century, the profession of being an attorney, being a lawyer, it was blowing up. It was one of the, one of the fastest growing professions that was out there, okay? So Rome was cranking out attorneys by the dozens, by the hundreds. There was a glut of brand new, fresh attorneys out there, all looking for work, all looking to make a name for one another, okay? And like anybody who's trying to make a name for themselves, they want to make a splash. They want to, they want to get out there. Number one, they want to work, so they're looking for work. But they're trying to do something that's, that's public and open and so that they can make a name for themselves as a new attorney. This was a big problem back in those days. Attorneys were always available if you thought you had been wronged, Okay? I think way back then is when the phrase was first coined, if you've been injured, call me now. <laughs> Send a runner to me now. Send a messenger. I think it was Franklinus Azarius. Was, uh, yeah, that's what it said. That's not in the Bible, by the way. But I think I read that somewhere. Anyway, there were so many of them that were suing each other. And they were suing each other. And that's why Paul had to step in and settle this. They start writing letters as a church, individually, okay? Paul starts getting bombarded with letters from church members saying, hey, we're having this dispute. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? How should we do communion? Can somebody who's divorced be back in the church? Can women stand up and talk in church? Can they teach in church? What about this guy who wants to sue this guy? What about they start bombarding him? with all these different letters and questions saying, settle this for us because this is tearing us apart. And so Paul's like, people, come on. It's not like email where your box starts filling up. He's starting to get these letters from all over the place trying to settle all these disputes. So Paul actually gets to the point where he says, okay, all right, I'm going to send Timothy to you. Timothy was Paul's disciple, real close associate. I'm going to send him to you and he'll sort this out. Okay, that's a whole other message for a whole other day. Timothy gets there and he starts straightening things out. But obviously, then Paul quickly realizes, "Hey, I have to write. I have to write these guys again, and I have to explain to them how to handle each one of these things in proper church protocol." Okay, and protocol is not all about, "Hey, we need to keep order in here." Protocol is about keeping our actions from negatively influencing someone else, because you never know who's watching you. It's important. So remember, okay, when you, when you read this, when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm, I urge you all to read the entirety of chapter 12 at least in context of what we're talking about here. But I'm going to read a big chunk of it. This is 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 27. Now, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, depending on the translation that you have, I'm using the NASB, which is the New American Standard Bible quick word about that. The New American Standard Bible is the one that I typically study from, and it's the one that I typically teach from. The reason I do that is because it is a formal equivalent translation, meaning that they translate from the Greek or from the Hebrew or from, from the original language as accurately as possible, word for word, okay? Sometimes without regard to how well a sentence flows, Okay, they're just translating the words and the thoughts, and I think that's important. I'll explain that a little bit later why I believe that's important. But that's what I use. If you use an NIV or an NLT or whatever the translation that you use is, they're all, all the modern translations are good. But there are differences between a dynamic translation and a formal translation. A dynamic basically just means, hey, we're going to add a couple words here and there to kind of make it flow as a sentence, 
to make it make sense. They're not adding scriptural, you know, doctrine, or they're not adding theological concepts. They're just trying to make it flow better. But sometimes the words get changed a little bit to help that flow. And I think it's important that we look back at what the original words were. So in any case, we'll go into this. For even, I'm going to read it out of here. I think. Okay. For even as the body is one and yet has many members and all the members of the body, though there are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now, God has placed the members, that's you, each one of them in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now, there are many members but one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need for you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on those we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it, But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked, so that there may be no divisions in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Now listen to this part. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, the other members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body, and individually members of it. I know that's a lot in there, and we could teach for months on all the little pieces of that, but here's what I really want to pull out, the part where you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Now, before I go any farther here, I want to ask you a question. Have you heard, or have you ever thought of, why is it that Paul used the illustration of a body? When he's trying to explain church unity and members and you're all important and you all have your own part to play in this, have you ever thought about why he teaches it in the context of a body? He uses that illustration. I've always kind of been told and and just accepted that, hey, he just was writing a letter and he said, you know, it's just kind of like a body. And he just writes that out, which kind of makes sense. But here's when I was when I was reading this and I was and I was praying through it and asking God to show me some things. Paul, uh, uh, I think the Lord brought me back to scripture in Acts. Paul, who the Apostle Paul, who wrote this, was actually Saul at the time when he was converted to Christianity. Okay, on the road to Damascus. I'm not going to tell the entire story, but I'm going to tell a little chunk of it. Okay, so Paul is actually he's he's well known as a It describes him in uh, Acts chapter 9, the very first verse. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Saul, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He goes to the high priest and he says, hey, there there are these, these Christian converts, or they called them the way back then, who are scattered all over the place. Would you give me authority in your name to go round them up and bring them back to Jerusalem? for trial, for stoning, for imprisonment, for a variety of things. So the high priest actually writes Saul a letter and says, yeah, here's your authority, you go do it. Go do it. So Paul's marching orders, he's breathing threats and murder against these people, and now he's got a piece of paper that says, hey, you go, you go do it. 
So that's where he's going. He's, he's on the road to Damascus. Damascus is in Syria. He's heading out there because he's heard there's big pockets of, of Christians or the way that are out there. And so he's going out there. On the road, he meets Jesus. On the road, he has an encounter with Jesus. And here's what Jesus says to him. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? To which Saul's going, okay, he immediately recognizes Jesus for who he is. The Bible doesn't exactly explain how and why, but clearly, if you're in the presence of the Lord, you're going to know it. But the important thing is he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul is going, okay, I, I know who you are. I've never done anything to you. But wait, but I am persecuting your followers. I am tracking down your followers. So what you're saying to me is that they are you. And you are them. Paul has a revelation at that time that Jesus' followers are inseparable from him. Christ and his followers are one and the same. When you persecute a follower of Jesus, you're persecuting Christ himself. And so Paul has that revelation at the time that there is, there is an unbreakable link between the two. And so I think when he goes back and he's trying to explain how we should all act and how we should all treat one another, he's not just pulling up a random illustration. He's saying, wait, you are literally the body of Christ, and you're all a part of his body. So some of you are eyes, some of you are ears, some of you are legs, feet, noses, but we're all the same body. And a body that operates without one of its pieces is handicapped. Plain and simple. And Paul is seeing that, and so that's a revelation that he has. So you go back to 1 Corinthians 12, 27. If we just grab that one section, 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Okay? The thing to understand there, or the thing that I want to pull out right here is individually. The word individually. A lot of people think that when you become a Christian, you assimilate into Christianity. Okay, we've all seen the, the uh, stereotypical things where, okay, you show up to church on a Sunday and all the ladies are wearing the same dress. And all the guys are wearing a, a, a suit and, you know, the women have a bonnet on and the kids are all acting the same. And we all, you know, we all speak and do and think and we all act the same right? We all assimilate into this body. Paul is clearly saying here that we don't assimilate into this body. We are all different. We are all gifted differently. We are all different. And individually, this is where some translations differ. They say, all of you are part of it. Well, if you read all of you are part of it, you go, okay, we're all, we're all a part of this thing. The word here broken out is individually which means you don't have to set aside who you are. Our sinful nature, yes, but who God made you to be is what this is about. God made every single one of us differently, and he made us for a purpose. To set aside and, and try and pretend that's not how he made me is wrong. We have people, one, one time where it manifests itself a lot is in our security team. We have an amazing security ministry here. It's, it's incredible. But some people see that we have that ministry, and they're like, well, shouldn't they, shouldn't they set aside that nature, that, that aggressive, that, that sheepdog kind of mentality? Shouldn't they set that aside and just be, be gentle, kind Christians? That's not who God made them to be. If you have a conversation with anyone on our Shepherd's Watch ministry, you'll see God made them that way and gave them a burden to protect all of us. And that's the way it is when God has gifted you with something. You have a burden to use that gift in this body. We're all individuals. There's no need to be ashamed. There's no need to set aside who God made you to be. Now, the things the devil has had a hand in making you to be we set those things aside, but we pursue Christ. If you think that God didn't make you for a purpose, if you didn't think you have a specific role to play in this body, in the kingdom of God, and on this earth right now, 
I want to share with you a few scriptures, and I'm not going to put them on the screen. I'm just going to read through them really quick. Scriptures that talk about we were all made for a specific purpose. Malachi 3.16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him. Book of remembrance, sometimes called the book of life, was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. Your name is written in the book of life. Romans 8, 29, 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those who he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. You have been predestined. You have been called, justified, and glorified for the purpose that he has for you. Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Last one, Psalm 139.16, You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. You ever get the feeling that this world could do without you? Like you're a mistake? Like why am I here? I can tell you this. Your parents may not have known you were coming, but God knew you were coming. Your parents may not have known what to do when you showed up, but God knew what your destiny was. He knew what he had in mind for you. So I want to rebuke right now any spirit of a lie that the enemy is putting in anybody's heart saying, you don't belong here. Why are you here? You're just taking up space. God's got nothing more for you. If you're still here, it means he's got more for you. And what he has for you is to engage in this body as a vital part of this body. Your gifts are needed here. There's no one else here who can do what God has predestined you to do. And he brought you to this body that your gifts would be used in this body. Whether you have the gift of healing, of prophecy, a big list that I went over, all the different kinds of healing, they are to be used in the church to build up and edify one another. Let me share an example with you. When Paul was blinded on the road to Damascus, Okay, the Lord spoke to him, gave him a vision of how he was going to be healed of this. We don't find out until later how that happens. But Paul goes on into Damascus. He's got disciples with him. The disciples help him go into Damascus. But he's still blind. At that same time, the Lord speaks to a man in Damascus named Ananias. Have you ever heard that name, Ananias? And the Lord says this to Ananias. This is in, um, this is in Acts. Uh, it says, Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, the Lord says this to Ananias, Ananias! And Ananias says, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go into the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man named Tarsus from Saul. For he is praying. And he has seen in a vision, Paul has seen, Saul has seen in a vision, a man named Ananias come and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So Paul has seen in a vision and he's praying, he's blind and he's praying in this room that God would send somebody or somehow he would be healed. And the Lord says, I'm sending someone, not just someone, a man named Ananias to you to heal you, to restore your sight. Well, here's Ananias' response in verse 13. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much harm did he do in your, to your saints in Jerusalem? And here he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. So he's like, um, you know which Saul you're talking about here, right? This, uh, you can hear Ananias saying, Lord, okay, I get it. I want to I help, but you know which guy you're talking about. You know what Saul's been doing. You know who he is. 
he goes and he lays his hands on Saul and Saul regains his sight. Now here's what I want to ask you. How many times has the Lord convicted us to go speak to someone? To lay hands in healing on someone? To simply pray for someone? Or to bring, bring groceries to someone? Whatever it is he's asked us to do. How many times have we said, eh, not me. I've got all kinds of reasons why I can't. I'll tell you for me, I've had that happen. I've had the Lord call me to do something. And I'm like, but... Um, I need, to be, I need to be somewhere in 10 minutes. I'm supposed to be at the hospital because I was going to pray with somebody. That's ministry too. And I've set aside what God has called me to do. That, just that little prompting. What if Ananias had said, nah, uh, use somebody else. I'm not going to do it. Terrifying. He didn't know if he was going to go to Paul. He didn't know that Paul was going to go, Ananias, the Lord said you were coming. Paul may just as well have stoned him on the spot. Paul oversaw the actual stoning death of Stephen not that long ago, and everybody knew about it. Paul was a bad dude. Saul was a bad dude. They knew what the danger was, and still, even in his reluctance, he said yes. What if he'd have said no? What if he'd have said no? Chances are he would have heard of Saul getting healed anyway, regaining his sight. It wasn't that big a town at the time. He would have seen Paul going around and preaching and then ultimately starting more churches and ministries and his conversion and all this. God gave Ananias the opportunity to restore his sight and thus give him faith in the Lord that he is who he says he is. Ananias had the chance to be used in that way. What if he just said no and found out later that he missed it? Because God's will is still going to be done. God would have found someone else or used someone else, or there would have been another way. Maybe it would have looked differently. But Ananias would have missed out on the blessing of going, God used me. The Lord Jesus Christ used me to heal that man. And look what he's doing. How many times do we walk by places and times when God has called us to do something because like, eh, not me, you'll use someone else. I can promise you that if we are faithful to what God calls us to do, we will be blessed through it. Not only will we be blessed by seeing the fruit of that, which is in our statement, witness, uh, blessed by witnessing the fruit of local outreach, encouraged by seeing our gifts in action. Ananias would have missed all that. So I want to take a second and share a couple more testimonies. We did this last week, and I feel like the Lord wants us to do this. We won't do it every time. But specifically in this, I want to ask if anybody has a testimony that they would like to share, whether where the Lord either used them to speak healing over someone else, or if they were healed by someone speaking to them. Okay, so I want to do that right now. Does anybody have a hand? Hi, I'm Emily. For those of you who might not know me, um, I injured my neck when I was a little girl. I was in gymnastics, and so it's been a recurring kind of theme. I'll just, you know, pick something up, and all of a sudden I can't move. And um, I was exercising right before Christmas and totally did something, tweaked it, and I was in a lot of pain. And I asked the prayer team here to pray for me, and they laid hands on me, they anointed me with oil, and they prayed, and I just believed that night um, with them that God wanted to do something, and um, I went back to the chiropractor the next Wednesday, and he, without even knowing, he just said, this is a hundred times better. What happened? And I said, well, I received prayer at church, and they, you know, laid hands on me. They anointed me, and he said, hallelujah, I have seen it before. And so that was confirmation. Um, I felt it. I knew it. I knew God could do it, and if he was willing, it would happen. But I just, you know, I'm, I was so encouraged by that, and I wanted to share that. So if there's something you're dealing with, do not hesitate to ask our prayer team because they are so willing 
and God is so willing to. All right, thanks, Emily. Anyone else back here? <clears throat> Ama, how you doing? Hello, my name is Ama, and um, I do home visit uh, for elderly. I go to their homes uh, through um, agency. And most of the time when they ask me, I said, Sundays, I'm not working. And for so long, I was not working on Sundays. But then one, this particular person, God just laid on my heart to stop that you don't work on Sundays. Just go and work for her. And before then, People have gone to her house and they stopped working for her because she's kind of very difficult. So I said, okay, so I just live there. Nobody wants to go there, so I just live there the whole time. I don't go home. I said, maybe if I'm ill, then I can give, take permission and leave. But when I went with her, I never was sick. So Sunday or Monday or whatever, I was still there. And she is not a Christian. But what she likes is to make meal from the scratch. And my upbringing, we always do cook from the scratch. So when I went there, I just asked her what she wants and morning, afternoon, and night, I just cook from the scratch, and she loves it. And when I'm cooking, I just turn the Christian uh, TV on. And when I turn it on, she will be, um, she will be having uh, her radio on, and she will not listen but I still put it on, and she never told me to turn it off or anything. So I realized that for like two weeks, she had stopped with her radio and was just watching. So one time, um, I was just, my, my back was, was, my back was facing his, her front, so I was cooking, and Joyce Myers was preaching. And afterwards, she just said, Oh, Amma, I want to give my life to Christ. It was like my knee was just, <laughs> I wanted to even fall. And I was just there with her alone. I, t I didn't believe it. So I, I turned myself and I said, What did you say? He said, <laughs> I want to accept Christ. So I stopped whatever I was doing, and I led her to Christ. And two weeks, she passed away. She told her, her children, whatever Amma says, you guys to listen. <laughs> and when she, one time she couldn't breathe, and I called 911. We sent her to um, emergency room, and they said they were seeing it behind her, and she heard it. They said, oh, she has cancer. She just said, who cares if I have cancer? I have Christ, so I don't care. <laughs> and when, <laughs> when she confessed that three days later, she passed away. So... I know when God sends you, because I always said I'm not going to work on Sundays. I'm not going to work on Sundays, but sometimes it's good to work on Sundays. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. You have one, Christina? Okay. All right. Um, so four years ago, I had a really bad longboarding accident. I, um, I fell on my head. I had a fourth-degree concussion and fourth-degree whiplash, and that's so, 
almost classified as a traumatic brain injury. Um, I had severe nerve damage. Every single time I looked down for a year, I, the, my whole body went numb. I couldn't feel anything. Um, I couldn't taste food for a year. And I was at Bible college in Dallas at the time. And my roommate, um, she was there for evangelism. And every single day, she was like, I'm laying hands on your head. I'm praying for you. Um, my, I got severe road rash there as well. And my hair grew back super quickly. Like, no one even knew that I had it. Um, and she prayed for me every day, every day, every day. And um, she told the prayer team at our church what was going on and that I couldn't um, feel most of the time. And one day, one of the prayer leaders just said, like, hey, I know what's going on. I want to pray for you as well. They laid hands on me. I'd been going to a chiropractor, and he was like, well, it's sort of healing, figuring it out. And after they laid hands on me and prayed for me, it just started to go away. Like, I was regaining sensation. Um, Every time I looked down, it didn't happen. It was just rare occurrences at that point. I started to be able to taste food again. Um, And then I came home for a summer, and it was completely gone. And so now I'm completely fine. Like, the only thing that I still have is just a scar, and I need glasses now. (laughs) So, praise God. That's awesome. Awesome. God is so good, and God does so many things in our midst and around us that if we don't, we don't take the time to share them, we're going to miss them. So here's what I want to do. I've, I've never, and, and forgive me if we're going a little bit long, but we can do this, right? We can go a little bit long. Everybody on board with this. Who here, just a show of hands, who here believes that they have a gift of healing? A gift of being able to speak healing over someone else. Who believes that? Okay, one, two, three. Okay, we all have access to that, but there are some who operate in that fluently. Now here's what I want to ask. Who needs prayer for healing? Who needs prayer for healing? Okay, so here's what I want to do. Be bold. If you need prayer for healing, I want you to come up front right here. If you want prayer for healing, come on up front. All right. Now, those who said they have a gift of healing, I want you to come up and help me surround these people. So those who raise the hand saying you have a gift, come on up. It's okay. If you didn't raise your hand, you can come on up. You can come on up. All right. The rest of you, we are a body of believers, and we are here to lift up and encourage one another. So if you just want to extend a hand forward... And just join us in this. Heavenly Father, we just pray right now that your power would come down to this place right now. Lord, you are a healer and your heart is to heal those who need it. And so God, everyone here who has boldly stepped forward and said, yes, I want healing. I need it. And I know that Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, is the one who can heal. He is the healer. And so right now, Lord, we just claim your healing over all these people who are just calling out in your name. We are calling out in desperation, but more than that, we're calling out in expectation that you will heal these people right now in Jesus' name. We just bind any lie of the enemy that says this cannot happen, this doesn't happen anymore, that healing is all just made up and manufactured. We bind that lie right now and we accept the power of Jesus right here in this place, the power of Jesus to heal the lame, to heal the sick, those who have mental disorders and issues, bone problems, blood problems, lung problems, anything that is not the way that God intended us to be. Lord, reset our bodies to the way you made them to be, not the way that the devil has lied and stolen and destroyed and decay and death has started to set in. Lord, we claim your victory over your children here who are seeking it right now. Father God, we claim your healing that you can be glorified in this place, not so that we can be, 
that our faithfulness, God, will allow you to be glorified in this place. And so we claim that healing right now. Right now. It's not a process that takes months or weeks or days or let's see. Lord, when you lay your hands on people, they stand and they walk. When you claim it, dry bones come to life. And so, God, we claim that healing right now over everyone here who is calling upon your name, whether they came up here or not. We claim that healing. And we claim that in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for what you were doing in this place and in these people. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah for what you do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you, you guys, for being bold enough to come up and receive prayer. Thank you for being bold enough to come up and give prayer for all of you who participated. We're going to take a second right now and we're going to a time of communion. We're going to celebrate what the Lord does for us. Okay? And so as we partake in communion, you can, you can do it at the crosses where we have juice and bread and you can serve yourself. Gabe and I will be up front. We've got wine and bread and, and gluten-free crackers. We'll serve you up here. But I'm going to have Weston come up in just a second and I'm going to have him lead us through the actual act of communion. But let's have this be a time of response where what God has shown us, where what the Lord has spoken to you through this message, let that solidify in your heart. So before I bring him up, I just want to close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just take what you have shown us here and the miracles and what you have done here today, the things you have spoken to us individually, the things you have shown us, and the things you have worked in our body. Lord God, I just, I just claim that to be truth. And I stand against the enemy's schemes who is going to immediately start trying to steal that truth and what you have done here today away from us before we even make it to the door. The enemy's going to start in. And so I just bind his voice right now. Lord, we accept your truth. We accept what you speak to us. And the Spirit of God only is the only spirit we will partner with. All other spirits, you will be gone and you will be silent in the name of Jesus. Thank you for what you do. Amen. Weston? Tagging on to what Lauren had mentioned, um, in her sharing time in the music and Bob's a, a wonderful message on exhorting us to believe in who we are in Christ and our uniqueness. I'm reading uh, something out of John chapter six. This is where um, Jesus had just performed two major miracles. One, he fed over 5,000 people with a few fish and loaves and had 12 baskets left over. And then he goes on to walk on the water just after that. And of course his disciples are seeing all this. They're in the midst of seeing all this. And this is out of John chapter 6, uh, starting at verse 26, when the disciples had already experienced and seen all these miracles with their own eyes. Jesus answered them and saying, well, they were saying, uh, they were wondering, how, 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 do we, how can we do this kind of stuff? Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not do work for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you, for on him the Father, God, has sent his seal. Therefore they said to him, what shall we do so that we may work the works of God? They were interested in, they were excited. They were seeing all this. They, they want to do these miracles too. However, they weren't in that place where they were actually believing in Jesus for who he is. They just weren't there yet until later on when the Holy Spirit revealed to them at Pentecost, they didn't really get what Jesus was teaching. This is what Jesus answered to them. Very simple. Jesus answered them and said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who God has sent. Our work is to believe by faith in who Jesus is. And Pastor Bob's exhortation to us was, believe in who Jesus is in us. 
as individuals in the body of Christ. So I just exhort you now to come receive communion. Come receive it in faith. In who, not only what Jesus did on the cross for us, but who Jesus is in you uniquely. Amen? Just go ahead and, go ahead and make your way up front now.
Uriah. 